If you will, uh, find uh, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 14 there, just kind of our launch pad to a subject, you know, God has been speaking to me uh, so much, you know, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, we've emphasized that for about two months now, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7, contain what Bible scholars have called the Sermon on the Mount, it was on the Mount of Olives, just the, the richness of what Jesus is speaking there. If you want to know how the kingdom of God works, read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' words here again, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 14, is to us today. It says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, as my, my wife uh, shared the word that uh, she gave this morning, I thought, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely so true, is that we see we are living in a world that, maybe it's too pessimistic to say so, but sometimes it feels like that is darkening on a daily basis. Liberties of, of you know, being able to express our faith in the public arena and all that seem to be getting quenched and, and shut down more than we've ever seen before, at least in my lifetime. It just seems the, the rising tide of darkness, even in our own communities here, seeing things like what is the oxymoron called a family-friendly drag show, drag queen show. I, I won't get off track. I, I want to, but I'm not going to, okay? That just seems like how in the world can we just let something like that just exist and without challenge to that? Family friendly, my eye. But yeah, it, it just seems to be a world in which we are increasingly seeing things that we never imagined would happen in the, in the public square. And Jesus is, is calling us to address this by being salt and light. Now we go on and Jesus says, you know, you're the salt of the earth. And here he's, he's calling us to be light in the darkness. In a world that is darkening at times, it seems like, you know, with each passing day, the need for God's people to be salt and light in the world is greater than ever. Amen. Yes, amen. Thank you. All right. Think of the nature of light. Light is offensive in nature, okay? We go into a dark room and you turn on a light. What happens to the darkness as it retreats? Now, you cannot increase the darkness of any space in a way that will quench a light. So you have a light bulb in the middle of a room. There's no way you can turn up the volume on the darkness that will put out the light, okay? And so light is an offensive weapon against darkness. And the more light, the more the darkness retreats. And Jesus goes on to say this, that darkness does not overcome the light, but light overcomes darkness. And we are to be light in a darkening world. Why is the world darkening? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, I think, you know. But I think what you and I need to realize is... Ask yourself the question, what kind of world do I want to live in? What kind of world do I want for my children? What kind of world do I want for my children's children to live in? You know, it's like, you know, I, 
I'm not concerned about for me, I'll, I'll make it. I, a long time ago, decided I am going to live for Jesus, okay? Uh, no turning back, no turning back, right? I am going to live for Jesus. I have made that decision. I've been tested as you have, and I have remained in the faith that I have adopted and embraced for my life, faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, the Word of God. But you know what? My children, that was, that was my concern for them. And now my concern is for their children. They have yet to make that decision. And what kind of world do I want them to live in? I want them to live in a world where, where they can accept Christ as their Savior and Lord and live in a world that is shaped by that. So we have a, a vote every single day, you and I. We have a vote every single day as to how we determine what kind of world you and I are going to live in. It doesn't seem like our individual actions amount to much, but we are either contributing or detracting from the direction of the darkness around us. Every word, every decision, every behavior, every demonstration of what we do and what we think and what we say is a vote of the kind of world that we are living in. Let me just give you a, a really, it may seem like a trite example, but I think, I think you'll catch on to the idea here. So I've noticed it seems more than it used to be, but when you drive in, into one of the parking lots, either one of our grocery stores or one of our box stores or, or whatever, and you're looking for a parking space, you know, and you spot one, maybe it's a busy day and one's open, and along everything else is taken up, you know, cars are in all the slots except the one, and you get ready to turn in, and what's, what's in the middle of the parking spot? Shopping cart, right. And you think, oh, great. Leaving a shopping cart behind. Doesn't seem like the crime of the century, does it? But what does it state? You know, it's the statement that is more significant than the action, right? So it says, I don't care about you. It says, I don't care that my actions inconvenience you. I don't care because my needs are more important than your needs. That's what that says. And so here we're always faced with these decisions of things. Small action. And, and you know what? Nobody has ever given me a pat on the back for returning my cart to the right spot. Nobody stands back and says, yeah, good job, good job, you return your cart. No, we don't even care, we don't even notice. But it, it is typical, I think it's just kind of one of those things that illustrate how we adopt worldly attitudes and worldly, make worldly decisions that affect the color and the tenor of our lives around that. And we can extrapolate this to more than shopping carts to other decisions and actions that seem so inconsequential, but I would challenge that thought to say they're not inconsequential, but cumulatively they have great effect. You know, leaving your shopping cart uh, in a parking spot, 
you know, we can, we can justify it, you know, say, well, you know, they employ people to, to pick up these carts and put them away, so, you know, I, I really don't have to. I know that, you know, they have places for us to push them and, and uh, get them out of the way, but they hire people to do this, so it's okay. I'm just too busy to do it. I'm just, you know, too bothered to do that. And yet, they'll, they'll do that, they'll walk into the store, and they will never make this connection. The fact that they're in consideration, inconvenience to them, whatever, uh, causes the store to have to hire people to do that job. And they walk into the store and complain about the high prices in the store. Because what are we doing? We're creating the overhead of, you know, keeping the store going. And, you know, and it just, it, it just may seem like the needle barely rises on that. You know, it's like, you know, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm busy you know, who's got time to push their cart back? Or it's raining outside and I don't want to get wet worse than I already am. Or all of these things. We can always justify ourselves. Yet we don't see the, the cause and effect based on our actions. And let me say this. Every insensitive deed, every insensitive action, every insensitive word has a consequence. We don't always see, as I said, connected cause and effect. But let me assure you this, is that yes, there is consequences to everything that we do. We are either salt and light, or we are part of the darkness. And so we have to ask ourselves, what kind of world do I want to live in? What kind do I want for my children and their children? But we have to understand that we ever so subtly are moving the needle from the kind of world we want to live in to the kind of world that is more and more troubling the more that we adopt the thinking of the world around us. We contribute to the darkness as opposed to contributing to the light. Now, Jesus, as I said, you know, Jesus encourages us to be salt and light. Light is offensive. It always repels the darkness. The darkness never repels the light. You have to remove the light in order for it to be dark, because the darkness doesn't have a knob you can turn up and it will be darker. It's only when you extinguish the light or remove the light that the darkness invades the space where the light once was. And, you know, you think about being salt. What does it mean to be salt in the world? You are the salt of the world. You know, I, I think of salt as a flavor enhancer. How many like steak? You like steak at summertime? We like to grill steaks. And what if, what if you, you know, cooked your steak and then forgot we don't have any salt in the house? Okay? Would you, would you enjoy that steak as much? Probably not as much. I don't know. There might be some really bizarre people out there, but... Just a little salt changes everything, doesn't it? It enhances the flavor. So when we're salt and light in the world, we're, we're either repelling the darkness or we are enhancing the flavor of the world in which we live. I just think those are, as of course Jesus you know, came up with this and, and, all, and he's always right. So being salt and light, what would it take to just enhance wherever you were by being the salt of the earth, being light, darkness. It's a question I think we should ask ourselves often. Whatever word or action, deed. What if everyone 
just 100%, let's just say I gave you a superpower today. And everything, every decision you made, everybody else had to do as well, okay? So you make the decision to not return your cart to the proper spot. So everybody else, 100%, would not return their cart to the proper spot. How would that work out? Yeah, we were just like, mm, nah. we get frustrated, we get you know, angry with all of this. But what if everyone did as we did? And we can extrapolate that to all kinds of things. What if everybody uh, forgave like I forgive? Now it's quiet in the room. All right. Um, yeah, what if, you know, we've been talking about forgiveness for the last couple of Sundays when I've been here. And, you know, what if everybody forgave other people the way I forgive other people? What kind of world would we live in? What if everybody gave the way I give? Could we even open the doors of a church? Could we keep the lights on? If everybody gave the same way that I gave, what if everybody spoke to others the way I speak to others? What kind of world would that look like? As I said, my wife and I uh, spent the week in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and we were downtown, the convention area, and convention center, and and there was an arena that, that we used. You know, down those blocks were lots and lots of restaurants. Lots and lots of restaurants. And it was interesting, of course, you know, when you release uh, 12,000 people at a time for lunch, things get busy in the restaurant pretty quick, right? And I remember we found one, and we, you're kind of looking through the windows. How crowded are they, you know? And, and we saw one, man, there are lots of open tables in there. And uh, so we quickly get in line, and we were just kind of lucky just to get right at the door. The inside was still full, but... Uh, and then finally, somebody came out. We, it was taking a long time. We were, nobody's moving. We were looking at lots of open tables. You know, the lights were on. And, and so we thought, well, they're open. Why, you know, why aren't they seating people? You know, we were waiting. And, you know, it's a little easy to get <clears throat> hangry, right? You know, while you're waiting and, and all of that. Somebody finally came out and said, well, you guys, uh, just so you know, they only have one waitress to work today. So it's going to take a while. She's working as hard as she can, but they're short-handed today. So we thought, oh, wow, my goodness. And in situations like that, it's easy just to get a little snide. It's just easy to get a little snooty. It's just easy to, to kind of display your unhappiness about, you know, the circumstance or whatever. But when we're salt and light, we are called to not do that. We're to do what is right. And what is the right thing in that situation? The right thing is to be gracious and understanding. Jesus in the Great Commission called us to save the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. And that's a, that's a really big job. And, and you and I probably get a little overwhelmed with that at times. Where does that start? Where does that begin? It begins with being salt and light. It's like, you know what? I can, I can help speed light drill water wells in, in Sahara, Africa, but, you know, I can't go to Africa. I am right here, and I may not be able to affect a lot of places, but I can affect the square that I'm standing on right now. And that's where we begin. How do we eat an elephant? You know, the answer is what? One bite at a time. 
and where we are standing and where we are living and where we are working and all of those things is the one bite at a time. And even though we're, our, our vision is to save the entire world, we start where we are by being salt and light. Sometimes we think, you know, the Great Commission must not be for me because I'm not a missionary or I don't travel and evangelize and all of those things. But really, being salt and light is not that difficult if we just do what is right, if we just do what Jesus calls us to be and to do. You know, Jesus is not asking us just to be nicer people. He's commanding us to be salt and light. (laughs) If you have kids and uh, they're getting to the point where you're trying to instill in them a sense of responsibility and you say, hey, uh, today is the day where we do some chores around the house and I want you to go clean your room. And if they respond like, nope, I don't feel like it, I'm going to go do something else, they have to kind of bring them up short, right? And say, hey, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. (laughs) Go clean your room, right? Jesus isn't asking us just to be nicer people. He's telling us that we are to be salt and light in the world. And, you know, as much as we would like to live and act and be different than the world around us, as much as we like that thought, as long as we think like the world, we will act and react like the world. What is the solution? How do we, how do we break that? How do we get out of the worldly kind of thinking? Well, let's uh, go to Romans chapter 12. And verses 1 and 2, and then we've got some other uh, scriptures there as well. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And here's, here's the, the, the great gravity of this verse. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Why? Because if we're conformed to the world, we will act like the world. If we conform to the darkness, we will act like darkness. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how we go about that. You know, if you want to know how worldly our thinking is, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, all right, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, if you read that and it kind of blows you away, that will tell you how conformed to the world we really are. We'll go on here, and and we're going to skip down to verse 9 and read to verse 21. And Paul is really kind of condensing the Sermon on the Mount in the rest of this passage here. And it's like, yeah, there are things there that are hard, that are hard to do. So let's read it. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient, boy, patient, he'd had to bring that up, huh? Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Now here's the hard part. That might have been tough, but this is hard. Bless those who persecute you. How many think like that? See, you see how conformed to the world we are? We bristle at a thought like that. Bless those who curse you or persecute you. 
That's not the way you do it. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Be light in the darkness. So how do we do this? What, what can we do? Well, how do we accomplish this? How do we be salt, light in the world? Matthew 5.41 says this, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. What? The context of what Jesus' statement there is, is in Israel at the time. And, and Israel was an occupied nation. It was, it was occupied by the Roman army. The Roman government had jurisdiction. And, and the Jews bristled at that. They despised the Roman soldiers. One of the reasons they despised the Roman soldiers is because there was a law that, that Rome decreed that if a Roman soldier was carrying a burden, he could compel you by law to carry it for him one mile. And you, at the threat of your life, must comply, pick up his burden, even if it takes you out of the way for a mile, pick it up and carry it for him for a mile. Jesus is saying, whoever compels you to carry his burden a mile, do the unexpected thing and go two miles. Let me put it into really practical terms. If there's more than one shopping cart, get both of them. <laughs> Sometimes we think of these, you know, examples that are kind of beyond us or don't apply to us, but that's really where it starts. Change how your mind is conformed to the things of this world. Going above and beyond what is required. That's our theme for the year, above and beyond. You know, the world expects certain things out of Christians. It's not just to meet the expectation, but to go above and beyond what the expectation might be. Going above and beyond what is required, what is expected or demanded, is what breaks status, status quo and, and makes the difference. How, how else can we go above and beyond? You know, it's a subject we've talked about much on in recent weeks. We should be generous with forgiveness. Be generous with forgiveness. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said, you know. You know what they keep doing to me? Peter asked Jesus himself, Jesus, if I have a brother and he offends me seven times in a day, do I have to forgive him the seven times? And Jesus said, no, I don't say seven, but 70 times seven. Above and beyond, just Go above what's expected. Hard for us. We want to object. But that's what Jesus is calling us to. You know, we want immediate results when we go above and beyond. We look for people to somehow acknowledge us or reward us for such behavior. Many times that won't happen. Many times nobody even notices. We think, well, if nobody cares, then why should I do it? It's not 
always about other people. Maybe it's about us. Maybe we need to go above and beyond for us. Maybe it changes something in us that God is wanting to change and learn how to serve and how to do things, not for applause, not for reward, but just because it is right. Three times in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, verse 6, verse 18, it says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Who are we really playing to? Are we playing to the crowd or are we playing to the audience of one? Who are we looking for our reward from? We really do serve an audience of one, not the crowd, not the world. We ultimately serve Jesus. And when we change the focus of where we look for approval to Jesus, going above and beyond is not as difficult. So go to the second mile. Number two, thought. Be authentic. Be an authentic person. What does that mean? Don't be a hypocrite. That's what that means. <laughs> we say one thing and yet do another. That's not what being authentic is all about. Paul, in uh, Romans chapter 2, I don't have the scripture up there, I didn't load it, but he calls this out. Chapter 2, I think it's down around verse 17, where Paul speaks to the Roman believers. He says, you who teach the law, in other words, you who preach the word of God, or you who are Christian and say you follow Christ, you say, do not steal. He comes back and he says, do you steal? You who teach, don't steal. Do you steal? You who teach, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Calls them out. What's he saying? Unless we are authentic in our faith, we are not being salt and light. To say one thing and do another is to destroy our testimony. Romans chapter 2. And verses 19 through 24. It says, You are confident to be a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, teacher of the babes, and having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So keep in mind that everything that we do should be as unto the Lord. Everything that, you know, every attitude, every action, every word should be unto the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5 through 7 says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but of bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So what we do, we do not because of who's in charge over us, but because it is right, and that's what Jesus is calling us to be and to do. So we are to go the second mile. We are to live authentically. And number three, we don't hear this as often as we used to, but we are to live by what we probably grew up, most of us in this room, with living out the golden rule. How many remember what the golden rule is all about? Yeah, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 through 12. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus had, had this, these moments, and this is one of them, you know, where once he was asked, teacher, what is, what is the greatest law of all the laws? He says, huh, the greatest law of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And the second is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, and the answer in return to that was, well, this is all of the law and all of the prophets. So if you want to summarize what Scripture is all about, it's about those two things, about loving God and loving each other. And here Jesus says the same thing. He says, whatever you want men to do to you, however you want to be treated, then you must treat others the same way. And this sums up the law and the prophets. So when you pull into the parking lot and there's a shopping cart, they're in the parking spot, and you say unkind things about whoever left it there. The question is, did you leave a shopping cart somewhere? Might not have been that one, but did you leave another one somewhere? Okay, nobody wants to raise their hand. All right, I get it. Now, how we want the world around us to be, we must be that. We cannot become like the world and expect the world to be nice to us. We must be the difference. It is not about being righteous according to some arbitrary list of rules that we're supposed to keep. It is doing what is right from the heart and led by the Spirit of God. We can live this out that what God spoke through the writer of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 16, he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. What does that mean? We don't go around with a list of rules of do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this. It is written on our heart. What is right? What is righteous? What does God want me to do? What is the right thing to do with my life and my actions? So surrendering completely to the Lord, our will, our decisions, our life is key to making a difference in our world and our lives and our homes. So if you are dissatisfied with any of those spaces, what happens out in the public square, what happens at work, what happens at home, be the change that you want to see. Be that. And even if it doesn't seem like it moves the needle at all, just be that. Do what is right. Do what is good. Don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I want to challenge every one of us, you know, as I've been thinking this, you know, uh, how we react, how we uh, respond is so key. I, I found out how much of a country boy I really was in Columbus, Ohio, 14th largest city in America, did not know that. Lots of people there, lots of traffic there. We had to negotiate in a lot of streets and waiting at crosswalks. Crosswalks are reality. Here in Alaska, eh, what's crosswalking? But there, you know, uh, pretty important. 
Here it was, it just happened to be right on the front line of people waiting to cross. You get the, the red hand and all of a sudden it turns to the white walking figure. That means it's okay to walk, right? You've got the right of way. And, uh, you know, people are to respect that. So, you know, we're watching that and we're anxious to get going, where we're going. And so we are waiting there and the little white man on the, on the crosswalk sign appears. I step right out in the street and right as I do, Honda minivan <laughs> comes screeching around the corner, blaring its horn at me. <laughs> I was like, that's what I was doing in my mind. All right. Um, I had the right of way. He was acting like I was the one doing the wrong thing. You know, it's easy to feel self-righteous. You can be self-righteous and flat um, if you want to be. But in every situation that we have to negotiate and navigate and encounter in our lives, what is in us is what comes out of us. And if there's light inside of us, that's what comes out. And if we're in a situation of conflict or whatever, and we are salt, we enhance the flavor of the room. And that's what Jesus is calling you and I to be. Make a difference in the world around us. 